Today we, uh, we conclude this series we've been talking about, looking at the cross and trying to understand who we are because of the cross. It's been a journey we've been on since Easter, and I said when we wrapped up our Easter series that, that we didn't want to just end with Easter and be done. We wanted to dive in a little bit deeper and take a deeper look at the cross and what does it mean to our relationship to God and how we live our lives. And we learned through this series that one, because of the cross and that God gave us Jesus, his son on the cross, that we can fully trust him. And we can give him our whole life. We can lean completely into him, bear all of our weight into the hands of God and say, God, I give you complete trust with my life. Even at times when I don't understand or at times when this just doesn't make sense, I put my 100% trust in the hands of God. We learn that we can live for God. We learn that we don't have to live for this world, that, that we can live for him and our lives can be sold out for him. We learn that we can follow God. That when he says, take up the cross and follow me, we can really do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, putting Christ at the center of life and that we walk and we follow him, allowing him to be the master, allowing him to be in charge, allowing him to direct the way we take our steps. Today, I want to look at the cross and see a key aspect about our relationship with God because our relationship with God has so many different facets to it. I mean, you start thinking about it. God is our creator of the universe. He's also the maker of man and woman. I mean, that's just one aspect of God. God is our Lord and our master. That's another aspect of him. God is the judge and he's the redeemer. He's the sustainer. God is the father and he's the savior and so much more. And you start looking about the attributes of who God is and they are just, there's just a plethora of them. But the most shocking one to me is that God yearns to be our friend. Stop and think about that for a moment. The God who made the universe, the God who hung the stars in the sky, the God who knows the number of hairs on your head, the God who knows when we need rain and who knows when we need sun. He wants to be your friend. I mean, it's an overwhelming thought to me. It's an overwhelming thought to think, the God who made this universe wants to have a personal relationship, a friendship with us. And we can have that relationship because of what God did on the cross by giving us his son, Jesus. It's really interesting because in the Old Testament, Abraham was known as a friend of God. He's the only person in the Old Testament who's given that high honor. The Old Testament says you are descendants of Abraham, and he's referred to him, my friend. Your descendants to Abraham, my friend. To be called a friend of God is an incredibly high honor. In the gospel story of the rich man and Lazarus, we hear the same words, Abraham, friend of God. The only example in the Old Testament is someone who is, who is recognized as a friend of God. King David says in the Old Testament that the Lord is a friend to those who obey him, who live within God's way. And certainly Abraham did obey God, and he did live in God's ways. But also, then you go to the New Testament, and this idea of friendship is also shown there. Here's the situation that's taking place. Jesus was with his closest group of friends, the 12 disciples. 
They're hanging out. They're having that last supper, that last meal before Jesus going to the cross. And, and they knew the next day. They knew something was going on. They, they knew it was all coming together. But during those past three years, Jesus and his disciples had become very good friends as they walked along the road together, as they, saw, as they sat together and had meals together, as Jesus shared with them, as Jesus talked with them, as Jesus taught them, as they went on fishing trips together, as they went sailing together, as they, hang, as they hung out together, they developed a bond and a friendship. And so Jesus wasn't just master and Lord and king, but Jesus had become their good friends. Someone that they could trust, someone they could look up to, someone they could lean upon, someone they knew wasn't going to abandon them, someone who wasn't going to turn their back, someone who wasn't going to put them down. Jesus says, you're my friends. And look at the text in John 15. Turn your Bibles there. John 15 is where Jesus now addresses. It's interesting. You look at this text. It's dealing with the disciples directly in that time, but also this text applies to us today. John 15, beginning of verse 13, says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Several times in that text, Jesus says, you're my friend. And Jesus calling the disciples or referring to us as a friend somehow defies our imagination. Somehow it's just hard to put our, put our mind around it. One of the primary reasons that's difficult to imagine is because what we find written in Romans 5, where Paul said, you see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You stop and think about it and go, wait, I'm an right, I'm a, I'm a ungodly person. I, I, I I'm a sinner. Do I deserve to be a friend of God? And Paul's addressing this. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's hard to look at our own sin or our own shortcomings or our, our unrighteousness and go, God wants to be a friend of mine. And the way it is is because what Paul says here, because God demonstrates his own love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died. What a demonstration of friendship. And yet the Bible's most potent scripture, John 3.16, tells us that for God so loved what? He loved the world. That's you and me. See, a lot of times we think of the world, we think of everybody else out there. But when he says the world, he's referencing you and me. He, he's referencing the God loved the world. He loved you and me so much that he sent his son to die for you and me. And so as we look at this idea of the cross and that our friendship with God comes through the cross, there's three dynamic truths I want you to see in the cross this morning. Number one is this, is that the cross is the highest symbol of friendship. It's the absolute highest symbol of friendship. John 15, 13, look at the text, says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Greater love, that someone would die for you. That die for your friends. The symbol of the cross is so important in relationship to God that he even used it in marriage. 
Ephesians 5, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's pulling husbands in and saying, husband, look at, look at this death and this sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. Husbands, this is how you live for your wife. This is the ultimate example of friendship that you would sacrifice. There is no greater love to show for somebody than to sacrifice for them. Good example of this happened in Oceanside, California some years ago in Mr. Alter's fifth grade class. It's impossible to tell which boy was undergoing chemotherapy. See, nearly all the boys are bald. Thirteen of them shave their heads so a sick buddy wouldn't feel out of place. Eleven-year-old Scott Sibilis from Lake Elementary said, if everybody has their heads shaved, sometimes people don't know who's who. They don't know who has cancer and who's just shaved their head. Doctors, though, recently removed a malignant tumor from Ian O'Gorman in his small intestine a week ago, and he started chemotherapy to treat the disease called lymphoma. Ian said, besides surgery, I had tubes up my nose, I had butterflies in my stomach, and I have eight more weeks of chemotherapy in effort to keep the cancer from returning again. Ian decided that he would shave his hair all off before it started falling out in clumps. And to his surprise, his friends wanted to join him in a move reminiscent of the 1992 U.S. Olympic volleyball players who shaved their heads in solidarity with a bald teammate. Ten-year-old Kyle Hanslick said the last thing he would want is to not fit in, to be made fun of. So we just wanted to make him feel better and not left out. So Kyle started talking to other boys and some parents caught on, and so the boys made the trip to the barber together to shave their heads to support their friend. It's hard to put words to, said Ian's father, Sean, choking back tears as he talked about the boys. It's very emotional to think about kids like that who would come together to have them do such a 